I'd like to welcome all of you to the services here for Unleavened Bread Passover season. Now, in society, people run in different circles. As a pastor, I performed a funeral for a veteran of World War II. And this particular funeral was very moving, very meaningful. The reason being, after the funeral sermon, the very few remaining veterans that were his friends would very slowly walk up. They would face the casket, and then they would give this salute to a fallen comrade. As I saw that ceremony, I realized they were in a circle. They had a bond of friendship that I would never experience. I had grown up right or been born right at the end of World War II. But they shared an experience. They experienced hardships. Uh, They were, again, brothers in combat and in defending the nation uh, from its enemies. And so they shared a common experience. They had a special relationship that unless you were of that generation and a brother in the in the war uh, you could never have that same again that same circle we know that these circles are in other professions my wife and I took the opportunity while we were at ambassador college to see a Bing Crosby special being filmed at ambassador auditorium in Pasadena among the celebrities there were Debbie Reynolds Uh, Bette Midler, for those of you who are really young, uh, they used to be, I guess they still are, uh, actresses that were very famous at that time. And at the reception afterwards, the movie and TV personalities mingled together, or in some cases stayed apart from what we would be considered average people. And they felt comfortable talking with one another, but were somewhat aloof from anyone not in their particular field of work. We know the same thing would happen, whether it be in the medical profession, because they share a common interest in work, and they'll often socialize at events, have fundraisers, have particular seminars. Same thing with educators. Again, they are bound by a common interest in culture and work. Successful business people will often spend time with one another. Many golf together while discussing their chosen endeavors. They will attend parties and other get-togethers to maintain contacts and further their business acumen. Other people group together according to their social standing, their professions, whether it be athletes, politicians, people of wealth, or of an elite background. And so this is typical. If you're not in that particular circle, it may be hard to understand why others are. And also why we would be uncomfortable if we were invited to associate with them. Uh, There are these physical circles. And yet there are also spiritual circles. You know, Satan has his way of life that many in the world identify with. And they feel right at home and very comfortable being involved. God has his way of life that a relatively few truly identify with, but those who are a part of that, again, feel very comfortable and at home in God's way of life. So during the Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread, we need to ask ourselves, in what circle do we belong? 
In what circle do we feel at home? The title of today's sermon is Sin or Righteousness? In what spiritual circle do you belong? At each Passover, we, admonish, we are admonished to examine ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul, an apostle very fervent in this way of life, God called him in a very special way to help Gentiles as well as many Israelites as he traveled and preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28, he writes, under God's inspiration, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And he's referring to examining ourselves before taking of the Passover symbols. Now, you've heard of deathbed repentance. Now, that's where someone lives a sinful life. Uh, they're totally uncommitted to God until right maybe before the last very few days or hours before death comes. And then, and only then, does the person profess sorrow and have a desire to be right with God. In the same way, there is such a thing as Passover repentance. And this is when a brother or sister in Christ lives an uncommitted and perhaps somewhat sinful life or a compromised life for most of the year. And then just before Passover, he or she begins attending services more regularly. Perhaps that person has a temporary emotional feeling and decides that they need to quit doing wrong things, at least for a while, at least until after the Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread. Uh, we don't want to be in that category. So it is good that we think about examining ourselves during these days so we have time to mull over and meditate about our relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. So rather than an emotional outburst of remorse, because time has run out, we have a more measured and careful considered evaluation of our lives. It is not that we work ourselves to an emotional pitch, but that we think about this subject from time to time and meditate on it, of where we are, of what circle we belong, who our God truly is, and our relationship with that God. Now, what are we to examine? Again, first of all, going back to the original concept, we have to ask, in which circle are we the most comfortable? In which circle do we honestly feel we belong? In God's circle or Satan's circle? In 1 John chapter 2, we find that Satan has his way of life. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, uh, we know that Satan is the god of this world, has influenced the world. And John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. We're talking about those things which are contrary or in rebellion against God's way of life. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, the pride of life 
is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. The world is dying. And the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So we have to think, do we love this world's system, which is following a way of life contrary to the love of God, to the laws of God, to the principles of God? In Galatians chapter 5, this worldly system is described in more detail. In the book of Galatians, this is the Apostle Paul inspired to write these reflections. In verse 17 of Galatians chapter 5, For the flesh lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. That is, you are not under the the consequences, the penalty of the law. And now the works of the flesh are evident, which are. And notice, these are the common practices, unfortunately, of this world system. Adultery, unfaithfulness to a mate that you have promised to spend the rest of your lives till death do you part. A breaking of that covenant relationship. Fornication indulging in sexual relations before the commitment to marriage. Uncleanness, and there's a, a filthiness to human uh, minds of, of uh, the human mind of thinking, and certainly unfilthy or unclean actions. Licentiousness, a desire to do whatever you want to do, regardless of boundaries or laws. Idolatry, you know, seeking other gods, sorcery, indulging in demonism and the occult, a hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now, are you comfortable in that kind of a circle? you find that in this world, in this society, there are individuals who truly feel right at home among those who are practicing these kind of acts. Uh, they feel that they have something in common. And so they spend time at the bars, you know, getting drunk. Uh, they spend time at perhaps dance halls or other uh, forms of entertainment socially and have no problem committing adultery or fornication. I mean, they feel good about it, at least for the time being. Temporarily, they do. And yet, the Apostle Paul writes, under, again, the very direction of Almighty God, that as I tell you before, I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we find that uh, there, there's a way of life in this world that many, if not most, human beings identify with and feel comfortable with. And we know this from many different ways, not just the actions, but what people enjoy watching at the movies, uh, series on television, uh, what they have on their computer games. You know, all of these kind of of actions and thoughts and, and enjoyments kind of show that 
many are very comfortable in the way of sin. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we find that, again, this is the Apostle Paul writing. Uh, The other apostles have written very similar things. Paul is uh, very, very clear on these matters. But he writes in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, times of danger, times of great stress, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then Paul goes on to describe the problems with these things. But again, we understand in this world that there are individuals who are glad to have these kind of attitudes. And they glory in their vanity. And they glory in their ability to oppress others and to brag and to do certain violent acts or immoral acts. And that's that's what they enjoy. That's part of their very thinking. So we have to ask the question, are these qualities at home in you? Do you feel at ease among people of this kind of mind and attitude. We're not talking about where you love your neighbor as yourself. Or as Christ did, you know, God loved the whole world uh, as God the Father has. You know, he sent his only begotten son so that he could die for the sins of mankind so we could live. I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about do you feel at ease? Uh, You know, are you, is it fun to be around? Uh, these kind of individuals who do these kind of things. If you had a choice of living forever among people of this kind, would you rather be with them than with truly converted Christians? Are they more interesting and more talented and more fun? Is this present world a more desirable place for you? Or would you feel more at ease with God and his people? There have been many jokes about uh, this kind of choice. Some individuals feel like, well, we'd rather go to hell, you know, that traditional uh, wrong way or concept of of, uh, the afterlife, and be around people that we really like, uh, than go to heaven where there's a lot of snobbery and people aren't as enjoyable, not as interesting, uh, not as talented, and uh, not having these kind of abilities. It's a distorted thinking. And yet even in the world, people joke about those kind of things, that they would rather, you know, just be around people they like to be around. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That means outflowing concern, joy, where there's a positive Attitude toward life. You enjoy living. You enjoy the kind of life that God has given us, the blessings. 
and the, the wonderful uh, opportunities that God gives us. Peace, long-suffering, you know, realizing that we bear with one another. And no matter who we are, it is, it is really nice that that long-suffering, that mercifulness is there. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, uh, there is no law. It fits within the laws of God. So if you compared Galatians 5:22 and 23 with Galatians 5:17 through 21 and 2 Timothy 3, those first few verses, and you had a choice between living with one group in their circle or in God's circle with the fruits of God's Spirit, which one would you choose? Which one would be more desirable? I mean, from the heart. From the very mind, what you really would like to experience. Do you want to live forever in a godly kingdom? A city with spiritual foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We find that some of the patriarchs had that choice and opportunity. In Hebrews chapter 11... We read here in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So we find that Abraham had wealth. That's mentioned in scriptures. Abraham eventually and his children were blessed by God, protected by God in a very, very special way. And yet Abraham felt he wasn't comfortable. He still felt like a stranger, a pilgrim in that land. What he felt more comfortable with, what he desired, what he wanted, was to be in the very kingdom of God. Again, so do we truly feel that God's kingdom is more desirable than what this world has to offer? We go on in Hebrews 11, in verse 13, it talks about many of these individuals, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, you know, not in their lifetimes, but in the future, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. You now, the earth was not where they felt, you know, this is the, uh, the best to be. They didn't feel the ways of this world uh, were their final you know, their final answer to, to blessings and life. No, they felt they were just passing through this earth or this way of life. For those who say such things declare plainly, they seek a homeland. They weren't comfortable in the circle that they found themselves. They wanted to be a part of a different circle, a different homeland. And truly, if they had been called, if they had called to mind that country, from which they had come out, 
they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, and therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So we know that they appreciated the blessings that God gave them while they lived on this earth, the healings, the providing of their physical needs, their protection, uh, God's fulfillment of their promises. But what they really desired was the very kingdom of God, that which God had to offer uh, in the world ahead. We go to Romans chapter 12. Again, we're going to see contrast. Of course, the Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread and since would be a feast filled with contrast, you know, unleavened versus leavened bread. Uh, there are other aspects that you know, we compare. And here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, to God, which is your logical or reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I think we've all been at a certain place in life where we wanted to be conformed to the world. Uh, most of us experienced that as we grew up as children that we wanted to fit in with the children around us or what was being done at school. We saw what the popular fellows had as far as their uh, haircuts, their hairstyles, that type of thing. Uh, girls did the same thing. Uh, we wanted to know what kind of clothing they wore or would be wearing in the next school year so that uh, we wouldn't be out of place. We wanted to have kind of similar styles. We wanted to fit in. We wanted to be in the right circle wanted to uh, have those experiences. And then there comes a time when God calls us, we realize that, no, that's not our standard. As we grow older, more mature, and come into a, a fuller knowledge of God's way of life, we begin to desire to do what is acceptable to God because we know that way of life produces blessings and great joy and great happiness. And so verse 3 uh, Paul continues, I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, you know, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God wants us to think realistically. He wants us to see the big picture of where we're at. He continues, as we have many members in one body, but all the members don't have the same function. And I uh, hate to say this, as you get older, some of the members may not even function <laughs> as you get a little older in certain ways. Uh, so there's arthritis and uh, other uh, bodily ailments that we sometimes battle with. But the reality is that, you know, each of our body parts have a particular purpose or reason for being. And we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. We all have to work together 
to accomplish the spiritual purposes and the work that God has called us to do. So he said, if it is given us to uh, prophesy, that is, uh, inspired preaching is another way of that, that the way that word might uh, translate. But if, if it's prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If that is what God has called us to do, then let us use that gift as God shows it should be used within his church. Uh, if it's ministry, serving, then let us serve. If God has called us to be teachers, and that's a special calling, and uh, as James said, you know, not, not let many, uh, don't let many be teachers because they receive the greater condemnation or accountability or judgment because we have to do it in accordance the way God has said it to be done in his church. So he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts or encourages in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And all of these gifts have impact on the church of God, on each congregation. And then Paul continues. Again, this is the kind of characteristics that we're talking about uh, that reflect God. Let love be without hypocrisy. You know, let love or outflowing concern be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Now, we should be grieving for the violence and the evils, the wrong way of life that is so prevalent in this society. And we should grieve and be sad and abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the eternal, or in this case, give me the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, where we, we again, with our whole heart, uh, pray before our God, communicate with our Creator. You know, God the Father created all things through Jesus Christ, so we want to pray to the Father and to Christ and be fervent about that and wholehearted about that, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, and bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. In other words, we sympathize, we empathize with individuals who have their challenges and their problems and be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble and do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have a regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the, Eternal, or says the Lord. And therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I took the time to read this very long chapter here in the book of Romans. My point is 
does this way of life, that what you heard from the scriptures, do these principles, do these way of uh, say ways of thinking, ways of acting, dominate your mind and your heart? Is this the way you truly want to be? Is this the spiritual circle that you truly want to belong? And are you excited about the work of God? We turn back to John chapter 4. The book of John chapter 4. Let's turn to verse 34 in these particular scriptures. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Now, God defines the kind of work that the church is to do. Christ had his special work to do, and he's continuing a work as the living head of the church of God. And he opens the doors to the preaching of the gospel. And there's a great work that God is doing through his people. And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That is the Father. And to finish his work. And as we do the work of Jesus Christ in the church, we're also honoring the Father. Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So again, this work, is the work of God meaningful to us? Is this something we think about on a very regular basis? And when we pray our prayers to our God, uh, do we really ask God's blessing on the work and, and thank God that we have a part as first fruits in, in this very church that God is actively working in our lives, that we're learning the very, the very mind and character of Jesus Christ and God the Father. And what a wonderful privilege it is to be included in this spiritual circle. So we have to ask ourselves as we think about these days, what circle do we really desire to belong? Do we really truly want to be part of Satan in this present world? Is that what draws us? Is that what makes us motivated? Is that what where we really want to be? Or do we truly want to be with God and his kingdom and in the church? where God's Spirit is leading and directing. We have to think about that. Where do we truly want to be? And it's not just intellectually, you know, where we, we think, well, where should we be? Where do we truly want to be? Where is our heart? Where are our thoughts? What about our actions? So we think about that. Next, we during these days, we should examine our attitude toward the sacrifice of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, we find the Apostle Paul making again these statements in regard to the Passover. 
But I said these are attitudes we have to think about during these days of unleavened bread as well. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So Paul was very faithful communicating to the brethren what Christ had communicated to him. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. That was unleavened bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body. This represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It was to be done as a memorial. It was to do once a year at the Passover. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. This was a cup of wine, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So we realize that as we observe these days in living bread, and we have observed the Passover, that what the meanings, the meaning that is conveyed is the very same meaning that the original apostles understood when Christ gave them that example. And the same meaning that those in the first century, in second century, in third century, and all through the centuries, clear to the 21st century, it has the same meaning for God's people. So therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Uh, so he's not saying that we keep it because we have perfected ourselves which we can't do anyway. But the stress is we want to take it in a worthy manner, not an unworthy manner. What what do we mean by a worthy manner? Well, he goes on to say, let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread, drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So to drink in an unworthy manner means we truly aren't thinking or understanding the tremendous sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave for us. We're not thinking in terms of you know God the Father, again, loving us so much that he gave his only begotten son. We aren't considering the very fact of, again, God becoming flesh, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us and suffering, and being scourged, and dying, so we could be healed, so we could be forgiven of our sins. And with that forgiveness, then eventually with the living Christ, that we could live and have an opportunity to be part of the very kingdom and family of God. And so we are to approach the sacrifice of Christ with deep respect and appreciation. We are to discern the powerful meaning of that sacrifice. And we are to understand the fruits or the results of that sacrifice. So instead of a last-minute rush to read the Scriptures, we take the time to think about and ponder the ones that deal with the subject. And if you're hearing the sermon after the Passover, you're not limited to the Passover or the night before to really appreciate that sacrifice. You can think about it during the days of unleavened bread. And you can think about this at other times during the year. 
Well, turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, a powerful psalm of David. Notice what he writes. Bless the eternal, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So we find that, you know, David, in spite of his human weaknesses, desired to be in, in harmony, in a close relationship with his God. He said, bless the eternal, O my soul, and don't forget all his benefits. Oftentimes, if we want to be in the, you know, God circle, we have to also remember what it means to be in God's circle. And part of that is this. One of the great benefits who forgives all your iniquities. What a wonderful blessing that we are not condemned when we have repented and under the blood of Christ. That whatever we have done, there has been nothing too great or too small that God cannot forgive under the blood of Christ. He's taken upon himself you know, our sins and our iniquities. And also he heals all of our diseases. What a, what a wonderful blessing. There's not again any disease so horrible or so complicated or complex that God cannot heal. Who redeems your life from destruction. You know, he in a sense has bought us back from death, from destruction. Again, not by silver, not by gold, not by anything that we could pay but by his own sacrifice, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Oh, God of all beings would have every right to get rid of us. You know, compared to the eternal God as just normal human beings, we're a pretty useless bunch of critters, you know, from God's viewpoint. You know, our value comes when with his spirit, we begin to grow in the very nature and character of Almighty God. And yet God has that loving kindness and mercy. He's willing to call us and willing to work with us, willing to change us, mold us. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. He also wants to bless us, not just in the future, but even now. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his uh, made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Eternal is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever, because he has not dealt with us according to our sins or punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, and again, that's uh, infinite, you know, when we think about it that, in that way. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the eternal pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. We are made of the elements of this earth as we were made, at least, uh, you know, descended from Adam and Eve when God created them. 
And so we think about that. And, and all those blessings revolve around what Christ was willing to do in regard to his sacrifice. Uh, Isaiah 53. There's one scripture I do not mind going back over again from time to time. No matter how long that we have been in the church of God, this has so much meaning and so much blessing for us of what God is willing to do. In Isaiah 53, and let's start with verse 3. As he is despised, rejected by men, because the world didn't recognize who Jesus Christ really was when he was made flesh and walked this earth. He said, a man of sorrows. Now, he, he did have sorrows or pains uh, that he had to endure. But there were times when, because he was God in the flesh, he also enjoyed life. But he also was acquainted with sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. You know, he was despised. And we did not esteem him. You know, until God opened our minds... So we realized who indeed this man was. Now, we didn't esteem him. We didn't hold him in special honor and appreciation. And surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, many individuals thought that Christ deserved to die. And they called him a blasphemer. They called him illegitimate. They called him a con artist, you know, in the, in the way they described him. Uh, they, they considered him a religious threat. And so they thought he was justly imprisoned and uh, beaten and then finally crucified. But the reality was he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, the welts that he received while he was being beaten, it was by that means that we are healed. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the eternal has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so the great sacrifice was for our sake. And that's what we have to consider during Passover and unleavened bread in a very special way. Uh, again, not a pity party, not where we're working up our emotions, but just being realistic that this is what it took for our sins to be forgiven. So we could then go on, again, again with God's Spirit, with the living Jesus Christ directing us, growing in the very nature and character of Almighty God. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And not all things are necessarily good in what we experience, but every act of life, the events we go through, both good and bad, if we love God, those experiences will work together for our spiritual good. Uh, again, to those who love God, to those who are the called, according to His purpose. 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, there's a time of our calling. Some are predestined or called to be first fruits. Others will be called later during the millennium. Still others in the great white throne judgment. So predestination has simply the time when God works with us, not necessarily whether we're saved or lost. That's not biblical in that way. So we are, when, once we are called, we are called to be conformed to the image of his Son. You know, the very character image, the very nature of God. Uh, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. But what did it take for Christ to accomplish this? Or God the Father accomplished this through Jesus Christ? That might be more accurate. But Romans 8, going on in verse 31. You know, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and he obviously is, you know, he's not willing that any should perish, that we should inherit eternal life. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. Now again, we're still thinking about the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice that God the Father made. And allowing that sacrifice to happen. And we're examining our attitudes toward it. See, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I mean, think about that. If God the Father and Christ went through all of this sacrifice, the pain, the suffering, everything that it took to accomplish don't you think that he wants to give us life? That he wants to freely give us everything to be inheritors with Jesus Christ? You know, we, we, people don't make those kind of sacrifices, and certainly God does not, unless he's planning on accomplishing a tremendous purpose in our existence, and he is. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, Satan might say, well, I can but notice what God says. It is God who justifies. Well, what did that take? It took the sacrifice of Christ to allow God to, to justify us. That is, make us right in our relationship with our God. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So what we're seeing here, we have the sacrifice of Christ and then even the resurrected Christ is still, you know, appealing and in a sense battling for us. Uh, he wants us to succeed. God the Father wants us to succeed in spite of Satan, in spite of, you know, this world. You know, they, they really want us in, in their family, in their kingdom. And so Paul continues, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, if we go through tribulation, does that mean God's turned his back on us? If we have distress, if we're persecuted, if we go through famine or nakedness or peril or sword, again, does that mean that God's turned his back on us, that his plan no longer is being fulfilled, that his sacrifice is all in vain? No. Verse 37, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what we're seeing here is that God so badly wants us into his family and kingdom that he has provided this tremendous and, it says, gruesome sacrifice, this blood sacrifice, so that our sins could be forgiven, so we would not die. And then for the living Christ, through that spirit of God, uh, help us to overcome, to grow, until finally we can be born into his family at the resurrection, at Christ's return. Well, there are other graphic accounts of Christ's sacrifice in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But this helps us to realize, and I hope that we appreciate, not just for one night during the Passover, uh, but, you know, through, really through the whole year. But the special emphasis is during this time period. But to really appreciate uh, the gift that God has given us. There's one other area that we need to in a sense, examine ourselves and think about. And that is, we should begin to seek positive proof that Christ is living in us. Do you know for sure? Do you have confidence that Jesus Christ is living in you? In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, now, we need to know for sure. We should have confidence one way or the other. Now, is Christ really living in us? Paul begins, this will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So there was a judgment that Paul was making uh, on the church. Uh, and we'll see how it all plays out here. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest. But if I come again, I will not spare. Now, Paul wasn't doing that to the harm of God's people because Paul desperately wanted them in the kingdom of God. He says, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, and then he comments, you know, who is not weak towards you. Christ is not weak towards you. He's mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, the word became flesh, and he died as a human being. Yet he lives by the power of God. He was resurrected and glorified as he was accepted by God the Father. And he says, For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Now, what does it take to prove that God's Spirit is in us, that we are uh, in, literally, the faith, that we have the nature and mind, the Spirit of God? But he says, prove yourselves. Attest yourselves. Do you not know yourselves? that Jesus Christ is in you. Unless indeed you are disqualified, but I trust 
that you will know that we are not disqualified. So he's saying we need to, to know ourselves. Do you know yourself? Do I know myself? Do I know and know that I know that Christ is in me? Now, this is a very positive examination. So we're not mourning and, and uh, again, being very negative and thinking, oh, I'm no good and, and uh, I'm a sinner. And, again, we all fall short. You know, there's just no question about that. We are growing. Uh, we are, are overcoming sin. We are growing the very nature of God. But it's a very positive examination. Do we know that the fruit of Christ through the Holy Spirit is part of our very lives? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I know I'm reading a lot of Scripture, but understand that the Scriptures are from God. Uh, This is the truth of God. This is... You know, this is the, it says God breathed, God inspired. These are the words of God. And so there's, there's no better, uh, source of information and understanding than from the very word of God. So here's how we can examine ourselves. You know, if we ask the question, is Christ in us? You know, are, do we have the very mind? Are we growing the nature of Christ? Well, here we start in verse one. He writes, therefore, be followers of God as dear children. We have a childlike attitude. We, we want to be like him. Yeah, just like children, they, they, they have heroes. They have uh, individuals, adults they imitate, want to be like. And we should follow God. We should truly want to be like him and walk in love. Yeah, that's that outflowing concern, that sacrificial love. You know, it's the love of God. We keep his commandments. It involves care and responsibility. It involves emotion of deep, deep, uh, sensitive uh, care and concern toward one another. Walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Do we have that same kind of love? Uh, being able to love our neighbor as ourselves, giving of ourselves, sacrificing when necessary for one another. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let not even be named among you as fitting for saints. So again, we have to compare. If Christ is really living in us, then fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, uh, is not really the dominant part of our lives. Hopefully, not any part of our lives. But if it has been, it's being overcome. We're prevailing against it. We're living differently. Uh, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And God isn't saying through Paul here that we shouldn't have humor And we shouldn't have joy in life. He's talking about foolish talking. Talking that is harmful. He's talking about not just jesting, but coarse, crass jesting. Attitudes and speech which is simply not fitting. But rather giving of thanks is very appropriate. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ 
and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Going back to uh, the beginning of the sermon, we find that there are individuals who who love the circles of of coarse jesting, uh, foolish talking, uh, things which aren't fitting. They just enjoy doing that. They enjoy baiting people. They enjoy arguing. They enjoy hurting people verbally and in other ways. Uh, they enjoy that. But as God's Spirit is in us, which is, again, a proof of Christ living in us, uh, we no longer are that way, or we are much less that way if we've not fully overcome it. And we're not partakers with them. We don't want to be in that circle. But verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. You know, God has opened our minds. God has shown us a different way of looking at life. He has shown us a new way of life, a life of character, a life of outflowing concern, a life of joy and blessings. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. And so as we obey God's love of, of a law, and that is his law is a way of love, that we compare life, we compare thoughts, we compare actions by the laws of God, by the principles of God. And that exposes things which are, are not right and not godly and which oftentimes lead to suffering and death. So he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, Christ will give you light. Then he explains other characteristics that show us that Christ is living in us. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. We know that we, no matter who we are, we have a a short time on this earth. We don't live forever. And so we have to make wise use of our times and know what's important and uh, what really we should be doing, again, in our very beings. Therefore, do not be unwise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. He's not saying that all drink is evil. A little wine is fine, but we're not to be drunk. We're not to misuse it. We live that way of life. There is dissipation. You live the way of of drunkenness or uh, abusing of drugs and these kind of things. Your, Your physical and mental and emotional and spiritual lives will deteriorate. Now, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It doesn't mean that you uh, go along uh, you know, singing hymns to one another in that way. It's not a bad thing, I guess. But I think we get the principle here. In other words, keep your, your minds on God. 
Uh, understand the blessings. Understand who you are, who God is. And there's a certain confidence, there's a certain joy, a certain peace that we exude. And so instead of contentiousness, you know, there's a, a peaceful relationship, a positive relationship with God and with one another. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, is that again our way of thinking? That's the way we are. We're, we're always thankful. You know, we're never disappointed in God. Now, we may be waiting for certain blessings yet to come. I do understand that. You know, we may be waiting for healing. Maybe if you're a young person, not yet married, and you're that age, then you're waiting for God to provide a proper mate for you. Uh, perhaps you are suffering job problems, so you're waiting for God, as you do your part, to open the doors for a, a job. We know that suddenly we do wait. Now, there's a purpose that we trust God. We wait for God. We know he's the almighty, almighty blesser. But in so doing, we're still always giving thanks to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're always grateful, always thankful for what God has given us and our relationship with that great God. And we submit ourselves uh, to one another in the fear of God. Yeah, we don't demand our own way all the time. There, there's a give. Uh, there's a take. And it's always done in the fear, the proper respect of God. Wives, submit, your, uh, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is Savior of the body. Now, it's not my intent to go into marriage relationships here, but... We're really talking about our relationship with God and the church. Uh, notice verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. It also applies in marriage, but the thing that he is emphasizing is the relationship between Christ and the church, how we respond to Christ and how Christ responds to us. He said, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. That's a good thing. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. But notice, uh, we recognize as God's people, if we have God's spirit, and if we're striving to be with Christ living in us, then we recognize Christ is the head of the church. We recognize him as the savior of the body. He doesn't want to kill us. He doesn't want to destroy us. He wants to give us life. And we are subject to Christ. We are respectful to Christ. We are responsive to the living head of the church and what he, is, he has set up. And then in turn, we all know this, that Christ loves us as, as, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Yeah, that's the relationship. He really loves us. And so therefore, if Christ is in us, we, we recognize this and we appreciate this. We also know that Christ is going to cleanse us. He's going to correct us, sacrifice, uh, uh, sanctify us uh, with the washing of water by the word, verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy without blemish. Now, God's working with us. We're not there yet, but this is the process. And if Christ is really living in us, then this process is happening in our lives. We're being corrected. We are growing. We are changing. 
uh, you know, God loves us. As I said, uh, you know, uh, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Well, God loves us in that way. He loves the church. He loves his people. And no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So we recognize that, that we are being nourished. We are being cared for. We are being, again, honored by God in our relationship with him. So does this reflect what we are striving to be? So we think about that. So we may not do these things perfectly. In fact, not may. (laughs) We know we don't do these things perfectly. But are we yielding and allowing God to work with us in that way? Uh, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. For we know the law is spiritual. But Paul says, I'm carnal. I I still have a fleshly body, a fleshly mind here. Uh, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. I don't think Paul, I don't think many of us believe that Paul was this this great active sinner, uh, rebelling against God, doing things evil. But what he was trying to show is that he was human. That even with the Spirit of God, uh, that he still had to battle human nature. And, and things he really wanted to do in his mind, he knew what it was, he needed to be a certain way to have the very nature and character of God. And he found that just so often, I mean, he didn't really fully practice what he, he knew through God's Spirit that he needed to be. Is it what I hate that I do? If I then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I don't find. He's saying that even by himself, he just cannot fulfill the very purpose for which he was created. But notice as he goes on, for the good that I will to do, I don't do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Now, so now we're going to find some keys. He said uh, these are undoubtedly not major sins that Paul is doing, but he's, he's showing the common experience that we have, in, even in the church, that we struggle. We aren't there yet. And there are still sins there's still weaknesses to overcome and yet spiritually if we have the spirit of god one of the tests of christ living in us that we delight in the law of god we don't fight against it but mentally and emotionally and from our heart we delight in god's law that reflects the very love and wisdom of god as paul says though i see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He said, wretched man that I am. And sometimes during these days of unleavened bread and Passover time, uh, we do feel a little wretched. We feel like we just haven't uh, lived up to the way of God the way we think we should. And as Paul felt, he just felt wretched. And he asked the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
And then he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve law of God, with the flesh the law of sin. Said he, he, he's not talking about something gigantically major from what we know from Scripture. But he's simply expressing the fact that yes, Christ is living in him, but he's kept knowing and feeling that, that he still hadn't fully grown and uh, become like Christ as he ought to. But then you go on to chapter 8 and verse 1. It's so encouraging. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that's what he was, he was trying to express here. That yes, there is this battle, there is this struggle, but God realizes that we are using his Holy Spirit. God realizes that we are appreciating the sacrifice of Christ. God is, is recognizing that we are trying to use the Spirit of God so that we're growing in love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control, that we are trying to grow in the very mind and nature of Jesus Christ, which also reflects God the Father. He sees that we are growing gradually in those areas. And as long as we are under, again, God's unmerited pardon, His, His you know, the penalty of of a sin is death, but we're under that blood sacrifice so that we're forgiven and that we are walking in God's ways, there is no condemnation that we are his children, his people. So as the point is, we struggle and we battle to overcome and we rely on Christ. So as we think about you know, our lives, our minds, our hearts, now, are we coming to that conclusion? Are we seeing that we truly are walking in the way of God? That we are, uh, even though maybe not doing these things perfectly, but we are in the Spirit. You know, we are, that is in harmony with God's plans and purposes. As we take the time to examine ourselves, I hope that we come to know several things. One, that we know in what spiritual circle we belong. I hope that we identify with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. I hope we identify with their way of life and their work. I hope that we want to be there, that we feel comfortable in that circle. I hope that we have complete confidence as well that we are not condemned but know with certainty that God has forgiven us and God does love us. I hope we identify with and feel comfortable around those God has called to be part of the first fruits of his family and his kingdom, even with our present imperfections and weaknesses. I hope we really feel comfortable. You know, there was a, probably a time when we first come into the church of God that we may feel a little strange. You know, I may be speaking to some new people that are attending church, maybe their first feast, uh, for uh, their introduction to, again, God's way of life. And when you first come into the church, it may feel a little strange, a little uncomfortable. Uh, there, there's a way of talking, a way of acting, even the way we eat and drink and everything may be different than what you're used to. But as time goes on, you begin to feel more and more comfortable more a part of the fellowship of God's way of life. 
And I hope again we identify with that, that we are part of that first fruits of his family and his kingdom. And as we examine ourselves, I hope that we find that our true desire, what we want most in life, is to be part of that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, that we want to be part of the very family of God, and we want to live for eternity in fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ and the very family of God, you know, born in the resurrection. So if these statements reflect our hearts, our minds, our desires, then we're in the right circle. Not of sin, but the right circle of righteousness, of God's character, of God's nature. So let's examine ourselves and let's see the very positive results of that examination. We are the children and begotten family of God.